Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello one and all and a very warm welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo and wherever you are in the world, it's great to have you with us. And today I'm joined by two fabulous authors who'll be going head to head in a war of the words a little later on. My first guest is the author of 25 novels with over 40 million copies sold worldwide. Five of her novels have been made into feature films and Between the Lines has been made into a musical. She's the recipient of multiple awards, including the New England Bookseller Award for Fiction. And she joins us now to tell us about her brand new novel, Wish You Were Here. Jodie Piku, welcome to Book Off. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. And my second guest is the best-selling author of 15 novels, which include Me Before You, After You, Still Me, and The Last Letter from Your Lover, which was recently adapted for the big screen and released earlier this year. Her work has been translated into 46 languages, and she's sold over 38 million books worldwide. Here to tell us about her latest novel, The Giver of Stars, it's Jojo Moyes. Welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I, I probably don't need to introduce you both, do do I? Because you're, you're mates, aren't you? Yeah, well, we are. But it's kind of an odd friendship because we've never met in person, right. partly because of COVID-y things. Yeah. Uh, right. But I've always read Jodie's books since we were stable mates at Hodder, um, which was uh, my first publisher. Yeah. And then we are kind of fairly frequent correspondents with each other, which is sort of interesting given the the... Uh, tenure, you know, the, the sort of tone of your latest book. I feel like you know, so much is, <laughs> is in the written word. But yeah, I, I love these friendships with authors where you just write lots of stuff. It's, yeah. it's kind of freeing. It's like sitting with the person on the train who you're never going to see again, except they're kind of funnier and wittier and, <laughs> and you are going to see them again one day. But what was super fun about this was Jojo was one of the people that I talked about when, um, when I was writing Wish You Were Here and I was like, ah, do I want to write this book? Should I write this book? What should I do with this book? And there were a couple of writer friends that I spoke with and, and, you know, you were one of them via uh, email messages and, you know, you were like, Oh yeah, you should, you should totally keep going and, you know, encouraging me to do it. It's just, yeah. it's kind of funny to see how it all has evolved. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to going riding with you on a horse one day in person. 
Oh, we're going to have fun. <laughs> yes. Or your donkeys. I'm, well, I'm, you don't want to yeah. ride my donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to pet them, though. You can even have one. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give you one. Oh. You'll, I'll give you two. Mm. Take a boat. I'm pretty, I'm pretty animaled up at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> just to, if you are going over to Jodie's neck of the woods, Jojo, but just take yeah. a few carrots and then you'll, you know, you make friends Perfect. pretty quickly with the donkeys. Oh, I'm going right? to take a suitcase full. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm there. Me and my suitcase full of carrots. I, I mean, I know that you Brits don't realize this, but we do grow them here in America, just so you know. So you can, you can purchase a couple. Oh, of them. oh. okay. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> Hadn't, hadn't thought about that, actually, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so over the next uh, 40 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about your brilliant new novels and your writing, and we're going to get some book recommendations from you. And, of course, we will do the book off, where you'll each go head-to-head, pitching us a book that you love and think that we should all read and telling us why. Um, but l- let's talk about, uh, Jodie, if I may wish you were here, which you've just mentioned sure. and which... Uh, Jojo had a sort of hand in encouraging you uh, to write. This is this is a novel that begins in March 2020, right before our lives mm-hmm. all changed. And I'm assuming right. that you hadn't set out to write a, a pandemic novel. No. Uh, in fact, I call this the book that I never wanted or intended to write, period. <laughs> right. um, yeah, okay. You know, it was... Uh, for me, I, I have asthma. So when we went into lockdown, I really went into lockdown. And I was... Yeah in my house for 15 months until I was vaccinated. Um, the only time I left was to go hiking. I would walk six to eight miles a day out in the woods of New Hampshire. And I was very um, overwhelmed by the pandemic. My whole life just evaporated in an instant. Everything was so different. And I had a really hard time coming to terms with that. And um you would think for writers that not much changes, right? Like you're just sitting at home and you're still writing, but everything really did change. The industry changed, the way that I could organize my thoughts changed. And um, I actually was writing a different book. I was contracted for a book that's coming out in 2022 that I'm co-writing with Jenny Boylan. And in March, she called me up and she said, hey, my schedule just cleared, how about you? And we decided to sit down and work on this early. And you know, we did, and I sort of, was faking it till I could make it, you know, in terms of doing research and remembering how to write a book. And eventually we, um, we got a great first draft out and that was, you know, that, that took us several months in 2020. And then I sat there going, now what, now what do I do? And I was really still thinking about how we as authors tell the story of the pandemic. I didn't know how we were going to be able to do it. And then I heard about a real life person, um, a Japanese man who was visiting Machu Picchu and got stuck there when the country closed down. And instead of leaving and going home, he wound up staying in the community, uh, teaching martial arts to the kids, spending months and becoming part of the community until the people there petitioned the government to open up Machu Picchu so he could finally see what he had actually come there to see. And I thought, oh, that is really interesting. But I had never been to Machu Picchu and God knows I wasn't going there in 2020. So I thought, where have I been? that is a bucket list destination. And years ago, I took my kids to the Galapagos and I started to wonder what it would be like for a character to be stranded in paradise when the rest of the world is going to hell. And that was the impetus for um, for Wish You Were Here. When I started writing it, I was really writing it as therapy. I needed to help myself organize what it meant to have your entire life upended and whether there was a reason behind it and uh, if we could ascribe any knowledge or learning to it. Um, I, I really did write it 
therapeutically. And then when I gave it the first draft to a few friends, they all said the same thing, which was, um, this felt like the hug I couldn't get in 2020. And it was a very validating book for them to read. And I thought, oh, maybe it's not just therapy for me. Maybe it's therapy for everybody. And at yeah. that point, I, I literally sent an email to my editor with the book attached. And that subject line was surprise. Because I, <laughs> I was not contracted to write this book. And here was an extra book I just gave them. Wow. Gosh. I have to say that um, I was in awe of you, Jody, during this period because, you know, <laughs> my life had also been upended. 2020 was meant to be my sabbatical year where I was going to travel and do stuff. And instead I got divorced and my mum died and we had a pandemic. <laughs> and <laughs> it wasn't quite the year I planned. Uh, but basically I was at home feeling like my brain had literally shut down. Like I couldn't write yeah. a word. There was a lot, I did, I wrote a short story about lockdown, uh, for Lou Clark, uh, which was a freebie that I just gave away because I wanted to do something. But then meanwhile, I'm getting these emails from Jody going, yeah, I'm not only writing, I'm writing an extra book. <laughs> and I was just like... How? And then she would describe bits of it. And, and the most fascinating thing happens when you speak to Jodi about the writing process, which is that I, I could understand some of what she was saying. It was an audacious book to write on a number of fronts. It was audacious because it was about a subject that we were still mm -hmm. deeply yeah. inside. But it was also audacious because it has a huge twist, which I'm not going to reveal. Uh, obviously, because then everybody would hate me. Um, but it was just extraordinary hearing her process this stuff through her emails um, and knowing that she has this kind of powerhouse brain and literary talent that she was kind of almost working it out for herself while she was just telling me bits of it. So mm. that I always, even though I kind of couldn't quite get my head around some of what she was telling me, I was just saying, do it. Because in some people's storytelling, you know that you're in safe hands. You know that the thing is going to work. And that's what I got from your emails, which I am, of course, publishing in my own book just to keep up with your work, right? Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. No, I mean, but honestly, having that, having another another writer, I think, whose work you respect and whose work you love. I mean, I've like you, I've read all of your books. I love your writing. And I, I the reason that I, actually, I, I our friendship is such a weird one because during the pandemic, when I had published a different book, Jojo was a, like a, my moderator for a conversation that we did online for one of my events. And it was like, I did this event with her and I was like, I've known her forever. I, I mean, I feel like yeah. we've been best friends. You just get and, that thing Yeah, sometimes. and I did that yeah. really weird seventh grade thing where I wrote an email saying, this is so weird and I'm so sorry, but I feel like you're my friend. Can we be friends? And, you know, and we just started it. writing to each other. And it's like to have that kind of connection with someone, I think um, on a writerly level and on a craft level mm -hmm. is really magical because you don't always get that as a writer yeah. and you, you know you have friends who are like oh yeah that sounds like a good story but they don't understand how you're piecing together a book and yeah. they don't I don't think they necessarily know how a writer's brain works but also you understood how a writer's brain could break during the pandemic because that's I was really there I mean I know you're, you're making it sound like I was this this powerhouse writer who was you know, throwing, uh, writing all these amazing yeah, things. But, but you were also in an extraordinary mm -hmm. limiting position. You know, I, I was, was very conscious yeah. of your asthma. I was conscious of the fact right. that, you know, we, you and I had conversations about the very limited number of people we spoke to every yes. day and how we were slightly crawling up the walls. <laughs> yes. And it was a really yeah. useful outlet to have someone mm -hmm. who really got it and yeah. 
you know, I remember, you know, but just also just talking about the wider aspects of it, the outrages and, the, yes. you know, not, not oh, just yeah. the domestic sphere, but the wider political sphere. I think Jody is a very political person and so am I. So it was mm. kind of useful to have that touchstone as well. Like, are we all going mad? No, we're yeah. not going mad. Not this only that, just... but we're all going mad in different yeah. countries. Like it's not working yes. anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I think that exactly. was that was really important. But yeah, it was um, it was really validating to, I think, have someone just say, yeah, just, you need to keep going. You just need to keep going. I honestly didn't know where this was going to wind up. And so I, I'm thrilled that um, my editor wanted to publish it and that she thought it could be helpful for other people. To yeah. me, it's an interesting, one of the things you said about writing something while we're still living through it, we are still living through it, mm-hmm. you know? And that was really interesting because um, by the time I finished the book and I wrote this, like it was a land speed record, but when I finished writing that first draft, I knew that vaccines were coming. And I think if I didn't know that, I wouldn't have been able to publish this book. I feel like we are in a slightly different place now because we have mm. science, yay science, and we have hope because of it. You know, like I know mm. I know that I could catch this and I don't think I'm going to die anymore. I think I'll be okay because yeah. mm-hmm. I'm you yeah. know, uber vaccinated. And so that for me was a real turning point. But the end of the book takes place in the future. And so it was completely aspirational. I was sitting there writing, well, what do I want it to look like one day, you know? And that was really healing, actually, to imagine a day when things do look a lot more like they used to pre-2020. Because we're not going to be there for many, many years. No, absolutely. I'll come back and and just ask you to set up the the story Mm. and diana a bit more in a moment yeah um jojo if i may we we did an event a while ago now for the giver of stars a book which has been out for a while you've done a lot for it does it does it just feel a million miles away now oh my god completely and i'm not sure we will ever go back to that way of of publicizing our writing Uh, i mean you know i think the last time we met i was on a kind of three and a half week three four country tour yeah uh and there's a kind of madness involved in those tours which i think we may be spared in the future (laughs) i mean it's it's just really hard and i'm sure jody you're like this too the best bit is meeting your fans totally. like, or your readers. Totally. Fans is such a weird word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. actually it's very energizing. And I think Jodie's like me in that we tend to have really nice readers. Mm-hmm. Like I have a friend who writes thrillers, a woman, yes. and she said basically nearly all her readers are just kind of slightly odd men who shuffle up, give her kind of dark <laughs> looks, throw a book at her and then shuffle away again and look like they're going to come back and murder her in a bed. Whereas I tend to get a lot of smiley women. Yeah, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, you know, smiley men are great too but I would say 80 80% of the people who come to my events are, are female mm. and so but the worst side is the travel mm-hmm. and the loneliness and all the things that you've ever read from every whiny person who's ever been on a tour it's just it is a very strange existence and you are in a weird bubble because you don't get to step outside the hotel other than to go to the things that you're asked to do and I don't really know how I got onto this. But anyway, I was probably in a kind of weird bubble the last time <laughs> we met. And it, it does feel a million miles away. And, yeah. and also, weirdly, the place that I was writing about in The Giver of Stars, this very particular uh, part of, of eastern Kentucky, became a kind of safe place for me. It sounds weird because it is one of the poorest areas of America mm. and it is it has an awful lot of societal problems. 
but it also ended up being somewhere that I retreated to when I was desperately sad and mm. and it it almost in the way that some places become talismanic for you knowing that I could go back to this place near Irvine Kentucky became a kind of thing that I could go to in my head I would be like I you know I've done stuff like I videoed the dawn in the hollow where I used to stay and I could play that to myself it, it was a really comforting thing and now I probably, you know, I haven't been there for two years. I may not get to go back because mm. the woman who runs the little cabin that I used to stay in is retiring. And I feel like, yeah, that, that was a sort of experience that I've, I've lost. Um, and so it makes the whole book feel very far away because yeah. so much of that book was tied up with my own experiences of being in that place. I want to just say that, that to me that book is so timeless because it's really about the power that comes in in stories, it, not just being able, the mm. one who provides them, which, you know, you're the conduit like the librarian is, but you're also the person who can help you escape a situation by um, by diving into a story. If I mean, if we learned anything in 2020, it was the importance of the entertainment industry to be able to oh take us God, away from yes. ourselves. So in yeah. a way, there's, you know, that book has legs. Horse legs. Well, but thank legs. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I loved it. You know, I've never, I've never loved a book, writing a book more. Yeah, it's that there is every bit of me in that book, yeah. and I'm. It's been very strange. You know, I had this weird year of not writing at all, apart from a little short story, and now I'm back in the zone. But it's, it's like I birthed a baby with that one. You made really good friends the actual friends didn't you yeah from your research and your t all that time spent there and so in a way that that in itself is going to make this book even more special probably because of those those connections oh yeah huge and I think I'm a bit like Jodie in that we are big researchers like mm. I cannot write a book off the back of Google I have to if I have there. to know a place. I have to smell it. I have to hear the people speak. I have to know what the customs are, what they eat. I need to be immersed. And for me, and I think Jodie would agree, the only way to write that as a truly immersive experience is to go there first. And it doesn't surprise me at all that you wrote about the Galapagos having <laughs> been yeah. there because you you have to, yeah, I think, I don't know, I'm... I'm wholly an admiration of writers who can do it off the back of an internet search engine but mm -hmm. for me it just doesn't ring mm -hmm. in the same way and that's one of i think the great losses of the pandemic has been yeah. you know yeah. i i haven't been able to go anywhere to do research mm. i have had to i've had to do it by zoom and you know yeah you're still talking to people but it's harder you don't you can't you can't soak it in the way that that no. you normally would at all and that it's just it's, it's a not loss. the same yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I started writing a book set in Venice before I realised right. quite how epic the yeah. the pandemic shutdown was going to mm -hmm. be. And yeah, I got about 20,000 words in and I just thought there's absolutely no way I can write this book mm -hmm. because, I, yeah, I can look up every picture, I can right. look up the dishes, I can look up the stores, but it's not the same. It's not the same. So I yeah. parked that one and I'm writing something else. And until this book, Jodie, I, I, I was associated... So associating the Galapagos with Schitt's Creek, but now I've got another <laughs> reference point as well. So that's they're both that's good. good for me. Both good reference points. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't you just set up the the story for us? You've you've touched on it and the and sort of where you got the spark of the idea. But tell us about Diana sure. and, and tell us about this story. 
So Diana is um, about to turn 30. She's a young woman. She lives in New York City, and she's the kind of person who has planned her entire life out. She can see every high watermark like a bunch of telephone poles just stretching in front of her. Uh, she has the perfect job. She is an art specialist at Sotheby's. She thinks she's about to get a big promotion. She has the perfect boyfriend who is a surgical resident at a New York City hospital, and she just knows he is about to propose to her on their bucket list trip to the Galapagos, which they are taking the very next day. And, um, you know, she's got her whole life unrolled. She knows exactly how it's going to play out. And then um, her boyfriend comes home from the hospital and says, I am not allowed to go on vacation. Uh, they told me that um, they're expecting things to get really bad. Uh, so I have to stay here. But you should go. It's been paid for. And so she winds up doing the scariest thing in the world, which is moving out of her comfort zone and going to the Galapagos by herself. She does not speak Spanish. Um, her boyfriend was the fluent one. And um, when she gets there, she is told that the island she is supposed to be staying on is closing for two weeks. And she doesn't really understand how an island can close, but she figures, oh, two weeks, no problem. And that last ferry takes off and her, uh, her lodging doesn't play out. She is at the mercy of strangers. She doesn't speak the language and she really has to rely on um, herself and her communication skills and her ability to roll with the punches, which is not well evolved, um, to try to and make make a you know way for herself while she's out there. In the meantime, she's in an island where there's no Wi-Fi and no cell service. She doesn't really have a strong connection to her boyfriend who is suffering greatly, like many first responders were during the pandemic. And, yeah. um, you know, and uh, it's really about um, how in moments of trauma, I think we're told, put one foot in front of the other and you'll get through it. But when the moment is March 2020 and suddenly <laughs> the world is completely unrecognizable, how do you push through? What do you do when your dreams seem more realistic than the real world? You know, if anyone had told me that in 2021, when I went to an airport, everybody would look like they were in a sci-fi movie, you know, yeah. bubbled and wrapped and, you know, wearing face shields and, and masks, I would have laughed at them. Yeah. Did you have a, was it a different kind of feeling when you finished this book to, to others? Obviously you said you wrote it quicker. It was a I sort of really therapeutic fast. thing. Was it, a di yeah. did you feel different? I, I felt weird. I mean, I felt, I felt weird for a year and a half now, you know, just, yeah, I, um, yeah, I just yeah. honestly, when does it stop? Right, I don't know, Jojo. Um, you know, I, I honestly just felt strange. Like I was like, okay, now what, you know, for me, even, even when I didn't know if I was going to publish it. And even when I was writing and saying, I don't, I don't know why I'm doing this, going to my desk right here where I'm sitting and having mm. something to do really helped me. Because it was like, I didn't know who I was anymore. You know, I, I, I didn't know what it meant to be a writer because writing was even different. And so I yeah. just being up here and like, oh, okay, I know, I know what it's like to sit here and type on my laptop and like work for a certain number of hours a day and, you know, create a certain number of words on a page that felt familiar. And I really needed that. It was like a crutch. Mm. Like I had to, I didn't know who I was if I couldn't be who I used to be. So I had to kind of default back to well, I know how to pretend to play this role. I'm going to do that and let's see what comes out of it. I honestly wasn't even thinking of the book as a book. I was thinking of it as a way, like a lifeline. It was a lifeline for me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And 
Jojo, we should we we should mention maybe because the Giver of Stars has been out for a while. There'll be lots of people listening who've already read it, but we should mention that there's a there's gonna be, I believe, an adaptation of this one. Is there? Can you tell us any more about that since the last time we heard about it? Um, I can't actually. Oh, no, damn it! Um, <laughs> no, it's just. I think the thing with uh, you know Hollywood films is they they are made in the same way that bankruptcy happens, which is very very slowly, and then all of a sudden, you know. Yep. Um, and we're still at the uh, the last I heard, we're still at the script going backward and forward stage. Um, okay. So, and I'm I'm weirdly zen about those sorts of things. I don't chase. I just figure. You know, if you bought a premiere dress for everything that ever got optioned, you'd end up with a wardrobe full of very moth-eaten clothes because, I, I don't know, I just think once you've sold the option, you just have to be zen, sit tight. If it happens, sure. it's going to be lovely. And if it doesn't, then you're not, you know, you're just on with the next project. So it will be lovely if it happens. Uh, and I would love for it to happen in eastern Kentucky, which is oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be great. an area that could do with it. But yeah. Uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? And is is the next thing you're working on historical fiction as well, or is it something different? No, it's completely the opposite. Um, I oh, I've really struggled with writing. I think you know a mixture of pandemic stuff and personal stuff, and and weirdly, I used to be as prolific as Jody, and then on my year of death and destruction, I kind of took real time out. And then mm. I thought, I don't know how to do this anymore. Like I used to be writing kind of usually two scripts at the same time as a book at any given time or promoting it or writing stuff at the same time. I was, one of my friends used to call me a machine and I was a machine until I wasn't. And then the weird thing is once I got off that treadmill, I found it really hard to get back on. So. Mm. I kind of thought about it a lot and I tried to think about what I wanted to be entertained by at the moment. And I decided, you know, Giver of Stars, you know, I joke about it being a baby that I birthed, but that's because it literally came up from the most kind of inside parts of me, just like it was mm. my heart and it was my passion. It was my everything I felt about politics and feminism and friendship and love. It, everything was in there. And I I don't think you can do that twice, or at least not in a hurry. And so I just decided in the end that I was going to write something much, much lighter that uh, was kind of fun. And I don't want to say too much about it, but it it is uh, it's fast-paced. It's hopefully quite funny. It's um, set in the modern day, and it's... I realised the other day it's kind of a bit angry as well. Mm. It's just like about what the heck mm. happened here. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, I can't, it's really annoying because I want to say more about it, but anything I say about it will kind of give away its, its insane premise. Uh, and it is a kind of insane premise, but okay. it is, it will hopefully be the most fun thing that I've written for a long time because I decided that's what I find myself reaching for with the remote button yeah. and that's what I, I need at the moment. So I'm hoping that's the thing that will work for me in writing as well. I'm about oh, halfway fab. through. You know I'm going to send you an email and ask for all the details. <laughs> Of course. I'll, I will send you back the half I've written. I would love that. <laughs> Phenomenal. I'll get critiqued by Jody. It will be amazing. <laughs> I'm sure I'll have nothing to say. We talked about, you know, that, that slight 
well, not it's not writer's block, is it? But that 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 um, feeling of not being able to do it because of the pandemic yeah. and it was all feeling weird. And I know that was the case for readers as well who who struggled yeah. certainly last year yeah. to, to pick up fiction. But have you have you been reading recently? Is there something, Jody, or a couple of things that you've sort of read and enjoyed recently that you fancy telling us about? Yeah, um, I've read a few books. One one thing that happened that I I think it's really important to sort of lay claim to is I could not read at all at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, I couldn't even read a news article. I couldn't get, I had yep. no focus. Mm. And I have been a reader since I was three. So that was really unsettling <laughs> for me. And what broke me out of my slump were romance novels because I needed a happy ending and man, they have them. And, you know, I, I really hats off to the romance writers who I think prodded a lot of people back into reading during 2020. Um, I want to give them all the credit. And the funny thing is, once I moved out of romance, the next genre I tackled was YA dystopian fiction, because I needed a world that was worse than 2020. So, um, <laughs> and now I'm reading everything. But I, um, among my favorites recently were, um, speaking of YA dystopian fiction, I loved uh, Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber. And Mary Pearson has written a group of books called The Remnant Chronicles, which are phenomenal. Um, I got to read A Great Proof by Josie Silver of Once on this I One Night on the Island, which is terrific. It's coming out next year. And a book that uh, I recently read that I really enjoyed is called We Are Not Like Them by um, Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. Yeah, uh, I'm telling you, it was so interesting to me. It's all about, yeah, there you go. I haven't seen actually that that cover because we have a different one I think in the US. this is the British proof yeah yeah but it's um it's about racism and it's about the relationship between a white woman and a black woman and and the writers are a white woman and a black woman and the whole time I was reading it I kept thinking man they must have had some really difficult conversations together in order to write this book and I was really impressed by that uh, but I I'm so glad you brought that one up because I think it's just come out here Oh, good. In the UK, and it, it's, it's really, definitely yeah, worth I a read. Really, a read. Yeah, it's really good. Really thought that it was uh, it was great. And, and what about you, Jojo? What have you been reading and enjoying recently? Well, a bit like Jody. Like I just my reading focus just fell apart, and hmm. I did read news articles, uh, but I, as a former journalist and news junkie, I have really limited my exposure to news because I just think mm -hmm. there's only so much your system can take. And I had definitely reached a point where I just had to draw my horns in. I was pulled back into reading partly because I had agreed to take part in a, a documentary about Marion Keys, and uh, who I'm a huge admirer of on a number of levels, also a friend, which, mm. um, you know, for full disclosure. And I thought there was one of her books that I'd never read, which was one of her breakout successes called Rachel's Holiday. Is that right, Rachel? Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. And I went into it thinking, well, this will be frothy and it will be about a girl going on holiday. <laughs> no, it's an entire book set in rehab and it is so bleak and funny and sad and it has this unreliable narrator at the helm who you are furious with for two-thirds of the book and it was such a brave and audacious thing to do to make that heroine so annoying for so many parts of it and it just made me rethink the genius that is Marion because I do think she's a genius I think she has a way of uh, dealing with massive issues you know addiction domestic abuse um, 
depression. Yeah. She has made me cry and make me, you know, I remember the, the Mystery of Mercy Clothes, I think, was her book about depression. And I remember reading that, not really understand. I, I, my rational self understood depression. It's like where people get really, really sad and they find it very hard to do with me. When I read her description of what it was like, the juggernaut of depression coming towards you and knowing it was going to hit, I remember sitting up in bed one morning and literally sobbing because I couldn't bear it and I couldn't. I, I was so invested in this character's pain. And for a writer to be able to take me to that place is an extraordinary thing. And I think there are a lot of people who just assume that she, because she has kind of a fluffy persona that she uses, and I don't mean uses, but, you know, that she conveys something rather kind of appealing and lovely and light, and she has that lovely, light Irish accent. I think it's really easy to miss quite what a a brutal writer she can also mm -hmm. be, that how unafraid she is to go to the dark places. And I think she's extraordinary. So she got me back onto reading. And then I'd say one of the, the literary books that stayed with me this year is by Esther Freud, and it's called I Couldn't Love You More. Mm. Um, and it's about the, uh, the mother and baby homes in Ireland. That's one of the key parts of the plot. And she has a kind of poet's way of writing. It's so beautifully put together and so spare and so acute in, in her kind of forensic observations of human nature. And I, I found it both harrowing and redemptive, which for me is a kind of great way to get through a book. I, yeah. I just, I love to be educated and I love to be made to feel things. Um, and so, yeah, both those books have been sort of standouts for me. Fab. Oh, yeah. And we, we love Marion here. We are big fans. And uh, I think it was Grown Ups was the last one, wasn't it? And that just... Yeah. Uh, Knocked, knocked our socks off. I, I loved it. Well, it's such loved a brilliantly middle-aged book. I don't yeah. think you could write that book unless yeah. you were middle-aged because it's about how bloody complicated it yeah. all is and, yeah, yeah. and how we sabotage our own happiness and, yeah, mm. just the mess of being grown up that you think you're going to have sorted out by the time you hit 40, let alone 50. 50 and then, yeah. you know, the older I get, they're just saying, I know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> like, when, when do I start growing up? Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, thank you for those fab recommendations. Um, And it's time now for the book off where we're going to get another recommendation from each of you uh this is about a book that you love that you think everyone should read if they haven't uh, and we're going to find out what they are before we go into the book off and do the three minutes each uh before we find out what they are let's let's do some some admin and jody as you've traveled the furthest in miles would you like to go first or second uh hmm. Um, I I'll go first. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna step up. All right. And as I said, you've oh, got I like three this. minutes. So we're doing this. <laughs> oh yeah, a bit of a shimmy. <laughs> bit of a I'm shimmy. Very <laughs> I, I well I know. I'm already I took notes. I'm resigned. <laughs> you took notes. She's coming with notes, Jojo. She's coming with notes. Uh I've got a drawful. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> now you don't have to use all your three minutes, but if you're still talking by the three-minute mark, you're either going to get rung out by oh, the shoot. school bell okay. or wow. honked out by the bicycle horn. So, Jojo, which okay. which would you like at your three-minute mark? Oh, I'll have a honk. You can have a honk. All right, great. Okay. And, Jodie, you're going to get the bell. Now, before we start the timer, Jodie, just tell us which book you're putting forward. The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Very good. All right. Three minutes going on the clock, and it's over to you to tell us about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. So to say I love this book is an understatement. I wish that I had written it. It's about a girl, a boy, a god, and how our stories get told and remembered. But it's also about how we leave our mark on the world and what it takes to feel connected to other people. Addie's born as Adeline in a small town in France in 1714. She's a free spirit, a dreamer, rebel, kind of like the love child of Belle and Ariel. She parents Her parents want to sell her away in marriage. She wants nothing of that. She wants a chance to live on her own terms. So she prays to the gods, but nobody answers. And the night of her wedding, before her wedding, she puts her hands in the dirt and she summons the darkness and this time someone listens a guy named luke who is the devil in the form of a beautiful man he offers her a faustian bargain that adeline will have her freedom and her immortality but at the expense of being forgotten by everyone who ever meets her so she becomes a shadow she everyone she meets forgets her a few minutes later she can't speak her name or write it down only the devil can she winds up nicknaming herself Addie and begins to really live. She witnesses the French Revolution, world wars, all kinds of political and social movements, and she suffers. She's a fugitive in houses because she um, is a stranger every morning. She has to be a thief because she can't hold down a job or a relationship. Every year, Luke comes to her and says, you can end this deal by giving up your soul. She says, no, she doesn't just refuse. She persists. And no matter how lonely she is, she finds a way to leave her mark. And this is the best part. She inspires artists and writers and novelists. They capture her in their work. And there's all these references to portraits that have her seven signature freckles, like on a face or where she's a blur in a photograph. And she manages to place herself in history, even though she is fated to be forgotten. And that is absolutely the coolest thing in the book. Her little life might look totally insignificant, but 
um, you know, she manages to inspire others to write and to create beauty and to paint her into history. One day in 2014, she walks into a bookstore and she's about to steal a book. And Henry, who is 26, owns the bookstore and he catches her. So she goes back the next day so that she can steal the book again because he's not going to forget her. Not only does he remember her, he calls her by her name. And she's like, what? What is going on after all this time? Three centuries, how uh, 300 uh, years. How do people remember me? And she thinks maybe this is her soulmate. And I'm not going to tell you what happens, but Henry has a secret of his own. Here's one of my favorite passages. She's tired, unspeakably tired. There's no question she has lived. He asks if it was really worth it. That's Luke. Were the instants of joy worth the stretches of sorrow? Were the moments of beauty worth the years of pain? She turns her head and looks at him and says, always. And this is a book about what it takes to be seen by someone else and how even though there is darkness and pain in life, having the chance to live, to really live is worth it. And after 2020, all of us need to read this book. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> She's mic dropped. She's mic dropped that. Yeah. I, I might just go home now. Wide open. <laughs> oh, I am home. <laughs> <laughs> Jodie, yeah. that was extraordinary. And Thank you me. have a second career as a rapper, I think. If, boom, boom, um, boom. Yeah, I, yeah. I do talk really fast. Fast. That's why yeah. I have to take notes. Wow. I know. I'm scared of like that timer. I didn't want to hear the bell. So yeah. <laughs> There was so much in it. Jodie, that was fab. Well, Hey, have a you. have a breather and go back to your <sighs> your jug of coffee, and um, we'll put three minutes back on the clock for you, Jojo. Uh, just tell us which book you're putting up now for the book off. Okay, um, sorry, my dog's just come in, which is really distracting. Oh, oh no! Hey. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's not going to help. Setting up the yeah. Okay. Excuses, excuse. Oh, oh hello. Hi. Right, okay. I'm going to... Um, right, sorry, let me gather, as Kate Winslet would say. It's called National Velvet by Enid Bagnold. Oh, such Fantastic. a good book. <laughs> All right, three minutes is on the clock and it's over to you. Okay, so everybody thinks they know this book, uh, National Velvet, because of the film with Elizabeth Taylor from, I think it was the 1940s or 30s? I don't know. It's, it, it's a black and white film, so it's a long time ago. Uh, but the book is so much more interesting and sly and nuanced and clever about human nature than the kind of very romanticised Hollywood version. Basically, the, the story is the same, which is a an awkward teenage girl wins a horse in a raffle, a kind of rather unpromising horse called the Pie, and then decides that she's going to ride it in the Grand National, which is an insane uh, kind of dream because her dad's a butcher uh, she has no resources the horse is kind of hopeless and through sheer force of will Velvet Brown this this 14 year old I think she is doing the book um, and with the kind of support of uh, a guy who works for her dad called Mai uh, she trains uh, for the national she qualifies for the national and then dressed as a boy she runs in the national and wins but the thing about this book is it's about family dynamics for a start. Uh, and it tells a story of a family that is so far from sentimental and romanticized. So, you know, Violet's brother's always picking his nose. She's always throwing up because she has a dodgy stomach. Uh, her mother and father have kind of entered that stage of their marriage where they sort of tolerate each other. And one of the things that I really love about this book is it's about 
women empowering other women to do something extraordinary. And you very rarely have healthy mother-daughter relationships in fiction. I, I'm guilty of this too. Usually the mother is either missing or, you know, like in The Goldfinch, blown up in the first chapter or evil or, you know, tricky. And what I love about this is, is you have this maternal figure who is as far from the Walton-esque type mother that you you can ever get she's this in the book she's very overweight she's unhappy with her weight she was once a cross-channel swimmer so she has achieved stuff in her own right and she gives the purse from that that prize the hundred guineas to to velvet to enable her daughter to to do this impossible thing against the wishes of her husband and there's this one of my favorite um scenes ever is the fight between velvet and her, velvet's father and mother uh, which is so subtly done and so understands the dynamics of a long marriage. Um, and I guess I loved it because I was a weedy 14-year-old who was horse-obsessed, and I feel like I've spent my whole life doing things that people told me I couldn't do, and I love horses. And right at the end, when she achieves this amazing result, there's no happy ending. Everything goes a bit awry. Her family doesn't enjoy, enjoy the press attention. She becomes a bit of a monster for a while and has to be brought back down to earth. And then things gradually settle down. And it's so good on modern media as well. Okay, that was it. <laughs> I didn't think I had a lot to say. Turns out I had quite it's a lot to say. You had loads yeah. to say. Um, okay. And what, I mean, hey, and you got a lot in those three minutes, Jojo. That was fab. Um, you can take a breather now. Okay. Um, wow. <clears throat> well, I actually, uh, Jodie, I have, I have read The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue when it came out and I hadn't thought about it actually for a couple of years and then hearing you say the title, I suddenly went, oh yeah, because it, I, I thought it was such an, like at the time I remember thinking what an unbelievably ambitious yes. book to try yes. and do, right. right, and story to tell. I know, that's and it's what by I mean. V.E. V, 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 Schwab, Schwab, I think, yeah. right, is the, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I loved is your, I mean, your pitch was so fast and furious and full and packed full of information, <laughs> but but brilliant stuff. I loved this, uh, like, Bell and Ariel uh, yes. d- the c- comparison that you made, um, th- the fact that, you know, she leaves, she leaves her mark. And I do think this yeah. is a really important part of that book, inspires others to sort of put her into art and culture and, uh, you know, the head, the, the sort of, what it means to be seen, all of these things are, and and it's it's not even like it's a huge book, and she manages to pack three hundred years, you know, into it. Um, I just thought a great pitch, and it it reminded me of of reading it several years ago, and th- and and you know now I want to sort of pick it up again. And National Velvet, I I know of that film, which I think was a forties film, Jojo, but don't, I haven't read the book, and I loved all that you said about it this like the fact that it's unlike the film it looks more at the cleverness of of looking at human nature about its family dynamics that I do think like the mother-daughter relationship is so interesting in fiction or in you know in 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 films and tv and actually having a a good mother-daughter relationship is refreshing I assume the book was written in the 40s too or maybe in the 30s 30s Yeah. yeah um and I can just, I just so know why you love the book as well. Uh, it's that, you know, your sort of love of horses and the the dynamics in it and the, the sort of fact that she wants to do this thing and she's, and people are telling her she can't and she just does it anyway, you know, brilliant. Um, I mean, I've got to add that to the list because it, it's the ever growing list. I honestly, I've, I feel like I should definitely um, read it before I watch the film. 
I, I would, I am bowled over by both of them. Can we both but, win? Yeah, I think we have to I give it we, to Jodie no, just for that win. picture alone. And also, I want to read that book now. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. You have I to love read the, it. Yeah. The huge scale of it. And I love the ideas. And I love the idea of someone making their mark. Even Jojo, if they're you're going to love it. Allegedly not there. I, 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 I think I I've hand sold that book to like 100 people. It is just such a good book. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I'm gonna exceed it then. Like <laughs> I I don't think I deserve this as much as Jodie for that pitch. I think Jojo. I, if you have a pitch better than that this year, I will <laughs> eat my COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jodie. I think you've just you've just got it, Jodie. I, I think you you're taking wow. the crown today. Thank you. For, thank you for, so much for the thank speed you. alone. Thank you. For I the speed that. alone. <laughs> and also the prep. Because yeah, well, I was like, like I had a lot yeah. to say. I'm glad and I, I wasn't at forget. school with you. Oh, I was, uh, I was, yeah, definitely. Type Were you a, a SWAT? Mm-hmm. I was. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I was smoking around the back with the bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved both of those. So thank you so much for for those brilliant pictures and for bringing those books to, to our attention. Uh, and thank you for your recommendations. I Wish You Were Here by Jodie Pico is out now. It's published by Hodder. And The Giver of Stars by Jojo Moyes is also out now, published by Michael Joseph. And what an absolute pleasure to have you both on the podcast. Thank you for being here with us and thanks for your recommendations. And here's to you two finally meeting in person at some point and feeding donkeys. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much for having us. It's yeah, this has been great. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.